Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this March 2018 episode is online family trees. We'll start over at the Genealogy Insider blog, where managing editor Diane Haddad's going to give us her 10 rules for accepting or rejecting online family tree hints. And then in our top tips segment, Sonny Morton's going to be here to dig into online tree hints even deeper. In our 101 best website segment, Dave Frixell's going to talk about the websites where you can build those online family trees. And then in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Family Tree University instructor Lisa Alza will be here to help us figure out how to digitize content to add to those trees. And then we'll wrap things up at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. She's going to talk about one of the resources that she uses to keep her tree in tip-top shape. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. Well, as I said at the top of the show, this March episode is devoted to your online family tree. So first, let's start off with the news about online trees. And we'll do that over at the Genealogy Insider blog with Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hello. You know, uh, I saw that you recently were posting about 10 rules for accepting or rejecting online family tree hints. And certainly hints are one of the big bonuses of putting our tree online. Uh, Tell us, what are the 10 rules? Well, these come um, from my own experience and from an article we have by our contributing editor, Sunny Morton, in the March-April issue. So online trees, um, all those hints that people get, they can make it really easy to build your ancestor timelines out quick. But they also can... um, make it easy to bring in misinformation and mistakes in your tree. So these are kind of rules of thumb to help you really think about what the hint is and whether it is actually your ancestor in that hint. So I think the first thing is to take your time. You don't have to get through them all at once. Really look at each one as you're researching that ancestor anyway, so that you kind of have that context of their life and you know who their family is right instead versus of, just assuming that it's it's correct because it's attached right right it's just yeah it's just a suggestion it's not necessarily um, fact you know your ancestor better than what whatever website it is so always look at the actual document image not all hints will link to an image um, but if there is an image then check it make sure that the information that's actually there is right for your family, you want to look for matches on multiple points of data. So um, maybe the birth date is right, the place um, of birth is right, there are several family members that are correct. So there's always going to be inconsistencies in records, but most of it should be what you know to be true about your ancestor. If it's if you're not sure, just you know let it let it sit there for a while. You don't have to approve it or reject it right now. You can just wait until you know more about that person. Right. There's no pressure. I mean, because <laughs> we're going to be getting hints on all different kinds of people in, in terms of how much we already know about them. And, yes. and you said here, too, to be extra, extra careful with matches to ancestor profiles that are in other family trees. 
Yes, it's not the case that the more people think this is true, the more true it is. People can, (laughs) someone else accepted a wrong hint and then, you know, another person saw that tree and accepted the hint and you might have 10 or 12 trees that all have the same wrong information. So um, for me, I feel like it's safest to just ignore those hints to other trees and maybe look at them. But don't I don't accept the information just based off that tree hint. I'll look for that kind of information in records. So that's how I approach it. And, you know, other people might feel differently, but just be cautious. Good advice. And uh, when you do accept an online family tree hint, you have a, a warning here for us. Don't take all of the information at once. Look at each piece of information and you can accept each piece individually. So, for example, um, if you find maybe your great uncle's census record and it lists his wife. So like, oh, look, I have a wife's name. If you accept everything, it'll put her in the tree with his last name. Mm-hmm. And you want women's maiden names in your tree. So when you accept that piece of information individually, you have the option to remove his last name so that um, she can be listed with her maiden name. Exactly. And I love tip number 10, because I think this is probably the most important, particularly for somebody who's new to research who, or new to genealogy, and they get there and they're getting overwhelmed with lots and lots of hints. Boy, you could stay pretty busy just doing that. But you say, Mm -hmm. don't limit your genealogy research to waiting for hints. A family tree can't thrive on hints alone. So you want to go out and do your own searches and census and other records. For one thing, hinting systems at genealogy, most genealogy websites don't cover all the collections, just the most popular ones that have the most um, data points. Mm -hmm. So you want to run searches so you can find records in the other collections um, that aren't included in hinting systems. And then also you want to be able to try name variants and try searches with birth date ranges just to to cover those hard to find records where they might be misindexed or, you know, there are other issues that that kind of keep them from rising to the top and making mm-hmm. them easy to find. Exactly. And that's where that's where really all the fun and interest is, mm-hmm. I think. It's it's in the search. So Good, good rules. Okay, 10 rules for accepting or rejecting online family tree hints. We've got all the rules in a post that you are linked to from the show notes. So just head to the show notes and uh, check that out. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you next month. You're welcome. So this episode is all devoted to online trees. And one of the key things that trees do for us is bring hints to us at Ancestry.com. So I want to invite Sunny Morton to the show to talk about some tips for using these hints and your trees that come from her new article in the Family Tree Magazine. Hi, Sunny. Hello. Thanks for having me on the show today. Love having you back as always. And of course, we're going to talk about online family trees. And I love this article where you dig into them and So what is hinting and why should we pay attention to it? 
Well, Lisa, I'm glad you asked. This is one of my newest nerdy topics. <laughs> part of my ongoing exploration of all of the genealogy giant websites. I love looking at the different technologies they have, what they offer us, and why they have them, and what they're doing, and how it's different on each site. So hinting, I can say, just globally, hinting are these little automated alerts that are attached to your ancestor's profile on your tree, a little icon that pops up that tells you the system has identified a record that looks like it belongs to the, that person, to your ancestor. And honestly, if you're a little OCD and you like to have a clean, uncluttered tree, this might get a little annoying. <laughs> because <laughs> just when you think you've scrubbed your tree full, uh, free of hints and everything's nice and clean again, you get more little alerts popping up, whether it's the little, you know, shaky leaf that you'd see that doesn't shake anymore, but the little leaf over at Ancestry.com or whether it's uh, the other icons that show up on the other sites. These are hints that tell you, look, we think we found a record. And, you know, they're basically cherry picking from what they think are that look like strong, obvious matches between your tree and historical records that are on the site. So even though it might annoy you just a little bit to have all of those little icons pop up, hints are wonderful. So if you're following the genealogy world at all, you probably are aware that millions and millions of records go on to these sites every week. Mm -hmm. So you could just have done a several hour research session and the next time you come back, there might be more and you're gonna wanna know about it. Absolutely. I know you focus on ancestry and my heritage and find my past and family search. I mean, these are the big boys with large, large quantities of records. So which ones have hinting? And I imagine it's a little bit different how this kind of works in terms of tying you into these records. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So all of them do have hinting technology on the sites, which is really great. All four of these uh, giant sites do help you with these automated little alerts that tell you, go look, go look. But the hinting is a little bit different. It's First of all, it's different across each site. And it's also different from the actual process of searching for records themselves. Mm -hmm. So the way that I find that that's most important to understand how they differ across the sites is that at three of the four of those sites that you just mentioned, Ancestry, Family of Search, Find My Past, and My Heritage, three of those four sites, the hinting does not include all records, Lisa. It's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, it's a big tip. It's a big tip of the iceberg, particularly at Family Search and Ancestry. But hinting doesn't, it only draws from the most popular, most used collections. It's kind of like they're looking at the low-hanging fruit on their record side and comparing it to our tree. So that's something that you should really know about hinting. That could be a little tricky because you could have the impression that once you've exhausted your hints, okay, well, there's nothing more to find over there. That's not the case. That's not the case. And so I'll get into the difference between hinting and searching here in just a second. So I mentioned that three of the four sites, the hinting doesn't include all the records. So I would say Find My Past is sort of the most limited, although they're, they're really pushing. I've just talked to them recently, and they said that they're making all kinds of progress at improving their hinting system. They just include anything that's classified as a birth, marriage, death type of record or a census. That's all that's included in their hinting technology right now. So you want to be aware that when you go to look for all the other fabulous records on their site, it's not going to include anything that doesn't belong to one of those categories. So most of the big collections, the most popular collections are hinted 
both in FamilySearch and Ancestry, they do like the vast majority of their records. They report that they, they do that. So MyHeritage is the one of those four sites that includes all of their records in their automated searching, including their newspapers and others that are not what you call a structured search where they're looking for indexed data. They're actually going and combing through line by line records that have not been indexed like newspapers or books. And they include the results of that in the hinting process. So hinting does include everything over at MyHeritage. Well, and see, that's why you're the genealogy giant's expert. It's so easy to just see them all with one big, you know, stroke of a brush. And they're very unique and different. And as they you are. do the same function at each one, you have to really know them as an individual <laughs> giant, you know, and what they do. I know that hints are not always correct. So right. can you give us some strategies for evaluating the hints more effectively? So you also asked about how hinting is sort of different than searching, or I said that I'd talk about that. So hinting compares many parameters from your tree with many parameters in the records. The more pieces of information you have on your tree, the better your hint results are going to be, the more accurate they're going to be, because they're looking at all of it. A search is different, though. It's more like like when you're shopping online at Old Navy, and you, let's say you first, you say, I'm only searching for men's clothing, and then you narrow it down to men's jeans. And then you say, I only want the skinny style, right? The more your restrictions you put on your search, the fewer search results you're going to get. But the idea would be that those search results are going to be exactly the options you're looking for. So the searching is very different because every parameter that you enter then limits because if that result doesn't have the parameter you put in, it's not going to show up. I imagine that may be the reason why hinting doesn't necessarily always go into all collections because you would really need to narrow down to get good results. You're so smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so hinting and searching are different beasts and you yeah. you do them a little bit differently. And my advice is always to review all of those hints at the outset. That's your cherry picking. You're right. you're just going through and looking at everything, but then definitely you're going to repeat things with targeted searches once you realize, you know what, I got the 1940, 1930, 1920, and 1900 censuses, but I can't find 1910. That's when you're going to switch over and do a targeted search. So you pay attention to where the holes are, like what kinds of records you don't have. Exactly. And then you go and do targeted searches for those kinds of records. So I love it. We're talking putting them hand in hand and knowing their strengths and their limitations. And of course, one of the limitations is that hints aren't always correct. So what are some of your strategies that you use for evaluating a hint more effectively? Oh, good question. So, and I think this process becomes so automatic that sometimes it's hard to think through. Like, yeah. how, well, how, what exactly am I thinking when I'm doing this? Can so I stop you there the because that's a, a really important point. And that is that hinting is kind of automatic. There's a lot of it. I've noticed sometimes it really can kind of turn your brain off. And you can't yeah. afford to do that, can you? No, you can't. You can't. You're gonna, you can't go on autopilot when you're looking at the hints. Oh, great. The system probably knows more than I do. Sure, sure, <laughs> right. sure, sure, sure. This must all be right. Right. So, <laughs> I think that's the most important thing you could say is keep your brain on mm -hmm. when you're reviewing hints. They're called hints, right? They're, they're not they're sources. Not called, they're, yeah. <laughs> right. Versus something that's, you know, certainties. So... I think the first and most important thing that I do, and I noticed that Ancestry.com expert Krista Cowan, the barefoot genealogist, also recommends this, is that you review 
hints from a position of strength and knowledge. And that means go into your ancestor's profile. Don't just pick a random person on the tree that you don't know anything about. And, oh, look, this person got eight hints. I should look. Uh Well, how will you know if those hints apply to them? You've spent no time with them. You don't know that all of their children were born in this particular county. You don't know that according to death records, such and such was true. So go into an ancestor's profile. Do this on a deliberate basis. Work your way back the generations. Get to know each generation. When you hit a new profile on that particular part of the tree, spend a little time what you already know about them based on what you learned about their kids already or their spouse. And learn everything you can about their the names, the dates, the places, and their associations with other people. Then you're in a real position of strength. And when you go start looking at hints, you're going to know when you see those hints with a lot more confidence if that person really belongs to that record. Wise advice. <laughs> Very wise advice. Because as I said, not just the beginner is susceptible to this, but even advanced people. And there's no better knowledge in this, but your own, because you're the one who knows this family the most intimately within the context of the research that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. It's an exciting time that hints can bring us so much so quickly. And I really appreciate your words of wisdom that we just need to stay engaged, that we are the researcher the hints and and the website is not the researcher. We are always going to be the researcher. If you want to learn more about this, check out Sunny's article on online trees and hinting and and the whole shebang. We'll have a link in the show notes to that. And as always, so much fun to talk to you about what's new with all of those genealogy giants out there. Thanks so much, Sunny. Thank you, Lisa. Since we're talking about online trees today, let's talk about one of the top websites to find them on, and that's MyHeritage. And I'm so happy to welcome back friend of the show, David Frixell. Hi, Dave. Hi, good to be here. Good to have you, as always. We love digging into this 101 best websites list. And uh, MyHeritage's online trees are sort of unique. I think they're a good fit for this uh, conversation because... They have such a vast number of people, I mean, worldwide, who have posted their trees. And I know in my own experience, that actually led me to connecting with a distant cousin in Germany for the first time, even though I'd had trees on other sites. This amazing, huge pool of trees they had led to my first kind of overseas connection. So tell us a little bit about the My Heritage Family Trees and that, that global reach. Well, and you know, it's, it's, a lot, at least initially, a lot like other, uh, you know, hosting uh, sites for your uh, your trees, um, and it's it's easy to get started. You can upload your you know your files from your desktop software, sort of all the usual things. Um, but it does have a few features that I think make it particularly kind of nifty. Um, one of them being, as you say, it's got this you know global reach. Um, it, they've got a connection with the uh, the Genie G E N I. Uh, site so that sort of adds to the pool um, even more so it's it's pretty huge um, the the trees themselves you've got some neat features so for example I'm always preaching that well in genealogy the big thing is you know when we're always trying to get dates mm-hmm. the other important thing to know is where and that is that's because that's where the records are and they have this cool feature where you can um, map your family tree so it takes a map of the world and tells you, you know, you've got 300 relatives here and 
20 there and 6 here, um, and you can zoom in or, or out. And you might just, by looking at that, on the da- using the data you've already put in there, you might just think, oh, maybe you know, these people came from here like the other ones, and maybe that's where I can you know, find their information and get around that, uh, that brick wall. So it's just a neat uh, tool that if you're going to do it you know, by hand, that would, you'd never get done. Oh, yeah. And I love the fact that it, it's something you can visualize. You know, it's, it's one thing to read it, but it's another thing to really kind of see it all in clusters. Exactly. And it's just called Pedigree Map. Okay. Um, and they, they have similar kind of things that will create timelines. Um, so once you've got your data on there, it has sort of those special features that make it more than just another, you know, place. Plus, it, they will, are, will do work for you. Once you've got your tree up there, and I get these emails almost every day now, um, you get emails uh, called smart matches, that they're always going through other people's trees as they go up there. And when, you know, Joe Blow in Canton, Ohio, uh, puts up his tree that overlaps yours in some way, you get an email. A lot of other sites have the same sort of technology where you can match and so forth. But here it just it comes in your inbox, and, uh, I mean, I found uh, relatives from my Swedish ancestors in Sweden who suddenly I'm getting smart matches that uh, this Kristen somebody is matching my, uh, my family. And apparently, you know, we're related. So uh, like your, you know, experience, suddenly I've got these cousins that I didn't know about. And uh, I keep getting the, uh, you know, the emails about more and more smart matches. Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting how they can, you can put your data up there and you think of it as a data site, but really then they bring technology into the mix and start making the data work for you, which I kind of like that idea. <laughs> and, you know, I know some people, smart. yeah, some people think, oh, well, if you put your tree online, then um, it gets all corrupted and everything. But you and I were talking about it before we even started recording that, um, you know, there's the tree that you keep on on your desktop that's kind of your master tree. But online trees have a very uh, relevant purpose, and that is they can make these connections and, and kind of create and generate leads, don't you think? Exactly. Well, with again, with MyHeritage, since they bought the World Vital Records site, now they have this whole data research um, aspect. And that's a separate subscription from just the trees. But if you have both, if you have a tree and you subscribe to one of their data plans, then you'll also get another kind of email, which is called record matches. Mm-hmm. And in, in, for those of us who are really into, like, I want, a, I want proof, you know, um, that is really cooler. What I found is that initially, particularly when you put up your tree or you've put up something, you start to get they're going through, you know, the census and all their other records, and they're finding the people in your tree in those records and sending you this email about it. So it's very cool. As time goes on, you know, obviously that's going to be, unless you're adding new people, that's going to begin to run more dry and you start to get more, like, links to family search or genie trees or that sort of thing. But initially, I mean, I just set aside a whole folder in my email to periodically go through these, and then what I do is I... Uh, once I look up the data and find out that that's really my ancestor, then I put it in my real tree, you know, on my computer. But it would have taken a huge amount of work. To, you know, you'd have to be typing in all these searches otherwise. Right. Instead, it's doing all that work for you. Exactly. Well, and in the end, it, it becomes a partnership between the technology and our own good old brain that does the, the verification, like you said, and, and the citing so of the true. sources. Um, well, hey, it's a 
it's a great fit for our online tree conversation. And there's a lot that MyHeritage does with these trees. We will have a link to MyHeritage.com in the show notes. And hey, Dave, thank you so much for exploring online trees with us today. Happy to. Chances are, if you've been doing family history for a while, you've got some photographs, some documents, and some items kind of piling up. And you're going to want to be able to scan and photograph your family keepsakes and your research materials to keep for for now to work with and for the generations to come. Here to tell us about a course that's going to help you learn how to do all that over at Family Tree University is the instructor, Lisa Alzo. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, because this is a topic that I think is near and dear to everybody's heart, because we're all dealing with stuff, with photographs and documents and the things that we want to hang on to. And technology is evolving, so we want to make sure that we're um, capturing and preserving all of these materials in the correct way. I've got a couple of specific questions for you, but I'd love to have you just start us off with what's a a kind of a quick overview in this new course that's coming up. What are you going to cover Well, again, it's all things, you know, how to take all of your paper stuff, your documents, your photographs, your heirlooms, and digitize them and preserve them for future generations. And so it takes you through, you know, step-by-step process from, you know, how to decide what the right equipment is to what format file formats do you use and and uh, things like audio files and what do you do with those and so it's it's pretty comprehensive and it there's a lot of step-by-step instruction both video and uh, text-based so it's it's kind of exciting yeah now this course is called digitize your family history is this one of the ones that goes for weeks is it one week what's the format of it it's a four-week course, and so there are you know four specific lessons with you know specific topics, you know starting from you know deciding to go digital to you know finally at the end setting up your workspace and uh, how to save your files and and also you know archiving formats and oversized items and then what it each each week there's a do it yourself exercise so that you can practice what is covered in the course oh that's great and i'm assuming you've got some some videos and things that people can watch Absolutely. So there are text lessons, which you can download as PDF. So which with some excellent examples of screenshots using certain recommended uh, equipment and then uh, scanners like a flatbed scanner or you know, if you have a flip pal, etc. And then uh, so step by step on, you know, how do I scan this photograph? And then there's uh, uh, some videos from some preservation and organization experts that m- many people with familiar with Family Tree Magazine or Family Tree University, people will be familiar with uh, people like Denise Levinick, the family curator, and uh, Gina Ortega, and some other names that are, are known through you know Family Tree Magazine and Family Tree University. And then what I do is I'm on hand to troubleshoot. So if people have questions about what's in the lesson or what's in the video, then I give them my personal touch, uh, my guiding hand in answering their specific questions. 
Yeah, that's what's so great about it is you have, you know, Lisa available to you live throughout this entire month. And I know one of the most common questions that people ask is around file formats. And specifically, like lately, I've been restoring old photos on my phone and that type of thing. What do you recommend for your students in in terms of which file format are you using for the, the master copy, the original, if you will? Well... Most of the time, it's it's recommended that you do the TIFF format, T-I-F-F, and uh, you know because it's a high resolution and it preserves it at the best, you know, a best quality in case you want to print that image again. Uh, and then, you know, there's recommendations depending on what you want to do with it, you know, whether you then save it down to a JPEG if you want to share it on a website or in a quick email or something like that. Uh, also then, you know, when is it appropriate to do, you know, PDFs, you know, of, of documents and so forth. So this, the lesson one talks all about going digital from, you know, how to scan, what those formats are, what the pros and cons are of each, uh, you know, what the resolution you should be using and so forth. And so that's, that's in detail in the lessons. Right. Um, now, as far as scanners go, I know I've got an Epson that I love this Epson perfection. It's a photo scanner. And I love that it, I can send it to Dropbox, I can send it to wherever specifically I want this item to go. Do you have a favorite scanner? What is it that you're using? Well, in the class, I know one of the examples is with an Epson. And I've actually been looking at that for my my own scanning projects. I've gone through all different types of scanners, to be honest with you. I've gone from a Canon to, right now I have an HP Envy, E-N-V-Y, um, that, that you know, works fairly well for most of my projects. Um, I do use a, you know, a FlipPal scanner uh, when I'm on the road, and I find that very helpful when I'm visiting relatives and they don't want to part with their original photographs. In fact, I used it in Slovakia when I went to Slovakia several years ago, and it was a very valuable tool for me to have over there. Oh, that's terrific. Well, these are the kinds of questions and answers that you're going to be able to get in the course. And of course, it's, uh, as she says, it's in text form. It's also in video form. And then there's the live person form over in your message boards, right? So they can do that throughout the entire four-week course. Uh, It's called Digitize Your Family History. It's over at Family Tree University. And of course, we will have a link on the webpage of show notes for this episode. Lisa, always fun to talk to you and uh, happy scanning. Thanks so much, Lisa. And I look forward to doing the class. Well, it's time to check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Hey, we've been talking about online trees. And I'm, I'm curious, do you have your tree online? I do have my tree online. It's not my whole tree. It's kind of a rudimentary tree on Ancestry.com. I like to use that as sort of a place to share information with other relatives and also to kind of connect some dots for the research that I'm doing on the site. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I think the more I talk with researchers, particularly those that get more as they get more experienced, Time goes by and they find themselves not focusing as much on using the online tree as this master source of everything that they have. But really, and I know this is how I look at it, it's more of like a lead generator. 
You know, it's a place where you put the important stuff out there. Because uh, I know when I first started, I put everything out there. And then I was getting all these hints on things that just are not my focus right now. <laughs> they were they were on the fringes of my tree. Did you have you found that? Or do you use it kind of in that way where, like you said, it's not everything? Absolutely. So you don't have kind of a love hate relationship with hints, because yeah. sometimes it's a nice automation. And then other times it's stuff I've seen before, or it's not really relevant, or I've already dismissed it. Um, I think that it's great, like you were saying, to use it in a strategic way. Um, And I think you were telling me another time about how you use it for photos, which I think is really interesting. Right. And, and, and it kind of this whole conversation makes me think of it's really the pros and the cons of family trees. And uh, one of the pros that I have really found lately that I've been focusing on is that even though the tree, uh, because it's out there, it's generating all kinds of hints and things. That's one of the, the main things that it does. I don't necessarily have the time or the energy or the desire to look at all of them. I have been going in and specifically only looking at photo hints. Because I'm a genealogist. I love to get out there and research. I want to find the document. I want to go through my process. So I don't love digesting just a bunch of documents being sent my way. But photos from other people's scrapbooks around the world that I would otherwise never have any access to, those are sitting there in hints. And you can go straight to them by just narrowing down one more step and saying, I only want photo hints. I love doing that. I think that is so cool. And what a creative use of your online family tree. That's not something I think a lot of people would immediately expect to use it for Mm -hmm. and a way to supplement your family history. I think one place that people kind of fall down is um, they tend to not use an online tree as a lead generation tool. And sometimes that gets us in trouble where you maybe take for granted that the information is correct, especially if you find it in a lot of repeated in a lot of different places. That's a pitfall, particularly when people are getting started. You see it a lot of times, so you think, well, it must be correct. But in fact, somebody just copied it and then somebody else copied theirs and somebody else copied theirs. And then it's perpetuating information that wasn't really solid. So in that way, that's like a con of online family trees, I think. And um, certainly at Ancestry.com being sort of the biggest community of trees, it's something to be aware of when you're utilizing the tool, for sure. Yeah, and I think, like you're saying, because trees have such strong pros, I mean, to, to see pictures of people that I've never seen before is amazing, and such strong cons, oh my gosh, here it's perpetuating this problem, that can make you feel like it's an all or nothing proposition about whether or not you use them. But to me, it's like everything else. You use it as a tool. You're, it's your brain that's running the, the engine here. And you want to take advantage of it to the extent that it can help you and fit into the way you like to do your business of genealogy research. So it doesn't have to be kind of an all or nothing. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's really about understanding the tool and then knowing Mm -hmm. how to use it strategically. I agree. I think that also factors into which trees you choose to use online. So I mentioned I use Ancestry.com 
um, I haven't been using the family search tree. And one of the reasons that I haven't is family search is a global tree. So like everybody can edit everybody else's stuff. And I just haven't reached a comfort level with that yet where I feel like I can kind of keep that straight. Um, so, you know, I know with my ancestry tree, like that's mine and I own it and I control it. And like, that's my level of comfort at the moment. And I'll probably do a family search tree at some other point to try and bring in some different information sources. But, you know, that's a choice that I think a lot of people feel passionate about is whether they want that one tree or their own tree and you have to pick a system that works for you. Yeah, that's true. And I think when it's one tree like that, you are, it's anybody and everybody. You do not have to be even in hardly into genealogy to have found a couple things and you could go in there and sign up for an account and put it on there. Um, Mm -hmm. I I like the ancestry trees. They do seem to be people who've at least dedicated a bit of time and, and have taken the plunge in a sense to get the membership and then, you know, say, Hey, I'm, I'm into this, at least right now I'm into this. And so I'm, I'm concentrating my efforts here. But again, using the tools is really key. Now, you guys have the unofficial guide to ancestry. And to me, that's one of those key resources I think of I turn to to say, I want to make sure I'm using this the best way. And there are so many strategic ideas in there. There is. There's a whole chapter on the online family tree at Ancestry.com that's really helpful and walking you step by step through how to set up your tree the best way and how you can really leverage the tool to help your research. So I think it's great. I've used the advice and so I can mm-hmm. say it helped me. And yeah, I would encourage anybody who's working on their online tree at Ancestry to check it out. Yeah, check it out. Know that it's not black and white. There are pros and cons, but it's all about how you want to use it and the way that it works for you and your family history. That's what this is all about. All right. Well, we'll have a link uh, so that you guys can grab the book if you if that's a, a tool that you could use. That'll be in the show notes for this episode. And I look forward to talking to you next month. We're going to be talking about genetic genealogy and getting more out of our DNA. All right. Good. Talk to you then. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this March 2018 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Head to FamilyTreeMagazine.com slash podcasts to find the show notes for this episode, which include information on everything that we talked about today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast, and that's also available for free in iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. Mm -hmm.